0: Welcome back, friends. I am so happy you have returned to learn about Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday. Now, we are going to be taking our time with Thursday because so many things happened. Uh, I just want us all to have a really solid understanding of what happened the day before Jesus was crucified. First, let's get into the definition of Maundy It is a formal event performed on a special occasion, and in Christianity, the ceremonial washing of the feet of poor persons in commemoration of Jesus's washing of his disciples' feet. And it's also reenacted in some churches on Maundy Thursday. All right, moving on to the readings for Thursday. So it starts in the Bible, disciples prepare for the Passover, that's what the first section is called. And in Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 16, it says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go to prepare the Passover meal for you? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner the teacher asks where is the guest room where i can eat the passover meal with my disciples he will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up that is where you should prepare our meal so the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as jesus had said and they prepared the passover meal there the note for matthew 26:17 because as you remember matthew mark luke and john pretty much parallel the events. So we're looking at the note from Matthew twenty-six seventeen, and it says the Passover took place on one night and at one meal but the festival of unleavened bread which was celebrated with it continued for a week. The people removed all yeast from their homes in commemoration of their ancestors Exodus from Egypt when they did not have time to let the bread dough rise. Thousands of people poured into Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire for this festival. The note for Mark chapter 14 verses 14 and 15 says, Many homes had large upstairs rooms, sometimes with stairways both inside and outside the house. The preparations for the Passover would have included setting the table and buying and preparing the Passover lamb, unleavened bread, sauces, and other ceremonial food and drink. Now, if we move to Matthew chapter 26 verse 18, it says, As you go into the city, he told them, you will see a certain man. Tell him, the teacher says, my time has come and I will eat the Passover meal with my disciples at your house. Now, if we move to the note, I believe it was yesterday I mentioned the book, The Final Days of Jesus. I, once again, I highly recommend that book. Very informative. Um, The authors are Andreas J. Kostenberger and Justin Taylor. In their book, they mentioned this note. Matthew alone records Jesus telling his disciples my time is at hand on the morning of the day on which the Passover lamb was sacrificed. Jesus knows that he is about to die but his disciples and the original hearers consistently fail to grasp the reality of Jesus's predictions. They likely understand his claim in light of their own version of messianic expectations. He is about to force the ultimate confrontation that will lead to his victory over the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman overlords. But Jesus means that the time is at hand for him to be sacrificed as God's Passover lamb in order to atone for the sins of the entire world. Moving on, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. We're going to go over John chapter 13 verses 1 through 20. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. I am not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, The one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. The note for John, chapter 13, verse 1, says, Jesus knew he would be betrayed by one of his disciples, denied by another, and deserted by all of them for a time. Still, he loved them to the very end. God knows us completely as Jesus knew his disciples. He knows the sins we've committed and the ones we will yet commit. Still, he loves us. The note for John chapter 13 verses 1 through 17 states, Jesus was the model servant and he showed his servant attitude to his disciples. Washing guests' feet was a job for a household servant to carry out when guests arrived. But Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist, as the lowliest slave would do, and washed and dried his disciples' feet. Even if he, God in the flesh, is willing to serve, we, his followers, must also be servants, willing to serve in any way that glorified God. Are you willing to follow Christ's example of serving? Whom can you serve today? There is a special blessing for those who not only agree that humble service is Christ's way, but who also follow through and do it. Moving to Jesus and the disciples share the Last Supper. We are going to be reading Matthew chapter 26 verses 20 through 30. When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve disciples. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? He replied, One of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me, for the Son of Man must die, as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it would be for the one who betrays him! It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, You have said it. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives the note from matthew 26:26 says each name we use for this sacrament brings out a different dimension to it it is the lord's supper because it commemorates the passover meal jesus ate with his disciples it is the eucharist or thanksgiving because in it we thank god for christ's work for us it is communion because through it we commune with god and with other believers As we eat the bread and drink the cup, we should be quietly reflective, recalling Jesus's death and his promise to come again, grateful for God's wonderful gift to us and joyful as we meet with Christ and the body of believers. The note for Matthew chapter 26 verse 28 says, How does Jesus's blood relate to the new covenant? People under the old covenant, or those who lived before Jesus, could approach God only through a priest and an animal sacrifice. Now all people can come directly to God through faith because Jesus' death has made us acceptable in God's eyes. The old covenant was a shadow of the new, pointing forward to the day when Jesus himself would be the final and ultimate sacrifice for sin. Rather than an unblemished lamb slain on the altar, the perfect lamb of God was slain on the cross a sinless sacrifice, so that our sins could be forgiven once and for all. All those who believe in Christ receive that forgiveness. The note for Mark chapter 14 verse 23 states, whatever name your church uses for this event, communion, Lord's Supper, or Eucharist, and on whatever schedule you celebrate it, the importance is that through celebrating communion together, believers experience the presence of Christ. The celebration of communion, one, humbles us before God. We confess our sin and restate our need for Christ to guide us. Two, reminds us that we are forgiven. We remember that his shed blood paid the price. Three, expresses our oneness in Christ. We are unified in our faith. And four, encourages us to recommit. We are reminded to pledge ourselves to serve him who died for us. And the final days of Jesus' authors wrote in their note, it was the last supper in a number of ways. The last meal that Jesus would eat with his disciples, the last meal that Jesus would eat in his pre-glorified body, and the final Passover meal of the Old Covenant. Jesus was likely looking forward to his meal so intensely because he knew that his upcoming death as the true Passover lamb would bring a fulfillment to the long centuries of Passover celebrations that had pointed forward to the Messiah's final sacrifice for the sins of his people. The true meaning of the Passover sacrifice would soon be revealed and realized. Jesus knows that he will not engage in this kind of celebration with food and wine again until the final messianic banquet, when God's people will experience eternal resurrection life in God's new creation. Jesus himself explains the significance of the bread and wine. The broken bread represents his body, which was about to be broken by blows, scourging, and crucifixion. The wine represents his blood, which is about to be poured out in order to inaugurate the new covenant and to bring forgiveness of sins to many. Now we move on to Jesus predicts Peter's denial. In Mark chapter 14 verses 27 through 31, it says, On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me, for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same. And the note from Mark 14.31 says Peter was so emphatic. It is easy to say we are devoted to Christ, but our claims are meaningful only when they are tested in the crucible of persecution. We need the Holy Spirit, not boastfulness and human resolve. We must never discount our vulnerability to pride, greed, or even indifference. And in John chapter 31, verses 31 through 38, it says, As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will soon give glory to the Son. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, and as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, You can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked. I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, Die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And the note for John chapter 13 verses 31 through 38 says, John describes these few moments in clear detail. We can see that Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew about Judas and about Peter, but he did not change the situation, nor did he stop loving them. In the same way, Jesus knows exactly what you will do to hurt him. Yet he still loves you unconditionally and will forgive you whenever you ask him. Judas couldn't understand this, and his life ended tragically. Peter understood, and despite his shortcomings, his life ended triumphantly, because he never let go of his faith in the one who loved him. Moving on to Jesus is the way to the Father, because we're just, we're going section by section. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 14, it states, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And we have a couple notes And the note for John chapter 14, verses 5 and 6 states, this is one of the most basic and important passages in scripture. How can we know the way to God? Only through Jesus. Jesus is the way because he is both God and man. By uniting our lives with his, we are united with God. Trust Jesus to take you to the Father and all the benefits of being God's child will be yours. And finally, the note for John chapter 14, verse 14 says, When Jesus says we can ask for anything, we must remember that our asking must be in his name, that is, according to God's character and will. God will not grant requests contrary to his nature or his will, and we cannot use his name as a magic formula to fulfill our selfish desires. If we are sincerely following God and seeking to do his will, then our requests will be in line with what he wants. Moving on to Jesus' promises, the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verses 15 through 19, it says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, since I live, you also will live. And the note for John chapter 14 verses 15 and 16 states, Jesus was soon going to leave the disciples, but he would remain with them. How could this be? The advocate, the Spirit of God himself, would come after Jesus was gone to care for and guide the disciples. The regenerating power of the Spirit came on the disciples just before Jesus' ascension. And the Spirit was poured out on all the believers at Pentecost, shortly after Jesus had ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit is the very presence of a God within us and all believers, helping us live as God wants and building Christ's church on earth. By faith, we can appropriate the Spirit's power each day. And the note for John chapter 14 verses 30 and 31 says, Although Satan, the ruler of this world, was unable to overpower Jesus, He still had the arrogance to try. Satan's power exists only because God allows him to act. But because Jesus is sinless, Satan has no power over him. If we obey Jesus and align ourselves closely with God's purposes, Satan has no power over us. Jesus teaches about the vine and the branches. In John chapter 15 verses 1 through 5 states, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And the note for John, verses 2 and 3, says, Jesus makes distinction between two kinds of pruning, cutting off and cutting back branches. Fruitful branches are cut back to promote growth. In other words, God must sometimes discipline us to strengthen our character and faith. But branches that don't bear fruit are cut off at the trunk, not only because they are worthless, but also because they often infect the rest of the tree. People who don't bear fruit for God or who try to block the efforts of God's followers will be cut off from his life-giving power. Now, the next section was Jesus warns about the world's hatred. I didn't really have anything for that section. Doesn't mean it isn't important. I just didn't have anything. We move on to Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, it says, There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The note for John chapter 16 verses 8 through 11 states, three important tasks of the Holy Spirit are, one, convicting the world of its sin and calling it to repentance, two, revealing the standard of God's righteousness to anyone who believes because Christ would no longer be physically present on earth, and three, demonstrating Christ's judgment over Satan. We move on to Jesus teaches about using his name in prayer. John 16 verses 31 through 33 states, Jesus asked, do you finally believe But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I have told you all this, because you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. The note for John chapter 16 verses 23 through 27 says, Jesus is talking about a new relationship between the believer and God previously people approached god through priests after jesus's resurrection any believer could approach god directly a new day is dawned, and now all believers are priests talking with god personally and directly we can approach god not because of our own merit but because jesus our great high priest has made us acceptable to god now jesus prays for himself for his disciples and for future believers the first stop we have some verses where Jesus prays for himself in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. The note for that section says, how do we get eternal life? Jesus tells us clearly here, by knowing God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ. Eternal life requires entering into a personal relationship with God and Jesus Christ. When we admit our sin and turn away from it, Christ's love lives in us by the Holy Spirit. Next, he has a prayer for his disciples in John chapter 17, verses 16 through 19. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. And the note for John chapter 17, verse 18 says, Jesus didn't ask God to take believers out of the world, but instead to use them in the world. Because Jesus sends us into the world, we should not try to escape from it, nor should we avoid all relationships with non-Christians. We are called to be salt and light, and we are to do the work that God sent us to do. And as a side note, the salt and light is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, and I highly recommend reading those verses and then researching what they mean. And Jesus's prayer for future believers in John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, says, "I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us." to that the world will believe you sent me. Next, Jesus agonizes in the garden. And we're going to be reading Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. They went to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And Jesus said, sit here while I go and pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him. And he became deeply troubled and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that, if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned and found the disciples asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them again and prayed this same prayer as before. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open, and they didn't know what to say. When he returned to them the third time, he said, Go ahead and sleep, have your rest. But no, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up, let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. The note from Matthew chapter 26 verses 37 and 38 tells us Jesus was in great anguish over his approaching physical pain, separation from the Father, and earth for the sins of the world. The divine course was set, but he in his human nature still struggled. Because of the anguish Jesus experienced, he can relate to our suffering. Jesus's strength to obey came from his relationship with God the Father, who is also the source of our strength. In Luke 22:44, It says, he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And the note for that verse says, only Luke tells us that Jesus' sweat resembled drops of blood. Jesus was in extreme agony, but he did not give up or give in. He went ahead with the mission for which he had come. And finally, the final days of Jesus authors provided this note. Luke provides two additional details. We already spoke about the blood. But in the absence of human support, God did not leave Jesus alone, but sent an angel to strengthen him. So like I said before, I know that was quite a bit to take in, but I feel like this is going to give all of us just a solid foundation as to what happened on the day before Jesus was crucified. I always recommend going back and just reading all of it because it's all so important. Tomorrow we will talk about Good Friday. Thank you for joining me. Have a blessed day and I will catch you tomorrow.